first of all, it's an honor to, to be here and, and represent Oregon State University. And uh, congratulations to Arkansas Dave and his club. They're outstanding. They've been terrific from start to finish. And like I say, when I come here every year, anybody that has the opportunity to play in the College World Series, in my opinion, gets to play in the greatest sporting event in our country. We were so clutch in every moment. I mean, we had, in my opinion, in the 2000s, I think that 2018 lineup was the deadliest lineup of any college team, not even close, second to none. At that level, you know how hard it is to win a national championship. I don't care how talented your team is. Like, you gotta have some things that, that go your way. One man's will can become a team's will if enough individuals are willing. The goal of any player, I believe, is when they leave their locker, that the jersey they leave behind is in a better place than it was when they came. There's a tradition in Omaha. There's a flag pavilion out beyond center field where there are the eight flags of the eight teams in the tournament. When a team is eliminated, those flags are dropped to half staff. So for the championship series, there's only two flags fully flying, Oregon State's and Arkansas's. By winning four straight games in the College World Series, Oregon State had personally eliminated every other team on their side of the bracket and reached the best of three championship series. The Beavers would face a team still undefeated in Omaha, the Arkansas Razorbacks. I had the opportunity to watch them play many times during the season and watch the SEC tournament, and, and they're really playing well. Just, you know, I mean, they've played three games, we've played five. We'll have our hands full. Their ninth appearance now in the College World Series, a team that has never won a national championship, will try to accomplish that this time around, came into Omaha at 44-19. This is Dynasty in the Woods, episode 13, the beginning of the end. And it was indeed near the end for Oregon State with only two guaranteed games remaining in the season. There's already been plenty of drama and intrigue in Omaha, and it only keeps getting better from here. I'm your host, Josh Warden. Today, we start reliving the 2018 NCAA Men's College World Series Finals between the Beavers and the Razorbacks. Hi, just a quick interruption here on Dynasty in the Woods. I use this podcast series to give free advertising to nonprofits, including a local one right here in Corvallis called Old Mill Center. Old Mill Center's vision is to ensure that all children have access to early education and behavioral and mental health services to give them the best possible start in life. They're very much a community organization. They serve local kids and families, and they can do that because they're so supported by many individuals, companies, and agencies in our community. To see everything that Old Mill Center does and how you can get involved, check out oldmillcenter.org. That's oldmillcenter.org. Well, what I've seen of Arkansas is what everybody else has seen. Pretty, pretty darn good. I mean, I don't know if I've seen a more complete team. There's not any weakness that they have on their team. They were a complete team. It was probably the most complete team that Arkansas has had under Dave Van Horn. Matt Jones covers Razorback baseball for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. You look back at that 2018 Arkansas baseball team, I really believe that you might see five, six, maybe seven guys on that team who ended up in the major leagues. 
Star pitcher Blaine Knight was already a third-round draft pick, not to mention a couple of blossoming freshmen and future third-round draft pick Casey Martin and future first-round draft pick Heston Kerstad. The offense was so good, the Razorbacks had scored 46 runs in just the first two games of the season. 46 runs, including a 32-4 beatdown of Bucknell. And granted, Bucknell is no powerhouse, but still, 32 runs? But Arkansas's offense was not necessarily their calling card. Really good pitching staff with Blaine Knight as their number one guy. And Arkansas, I think they only lost maybe one game, maybe two, when he started that entire season out of 18 or 19 starts. He was just absolutely on fire, unbelievable. He was on the doorstep, kind of going to be known as the greatest Razorback baseball player to ever go to Fayetteville. This is Hayden Balgavy, another Arkansas reporter, and as he knows, it's hard to overstate how good of a pitcher Blaine Knight had become. Blaine would regularly pitch on Friday nights against the other ace pitchers from the SEC, and his record was 13-0. He beat a bunch of guys on Friday night this year, and he's got two different breaking balls. His stuff holds up for the whole game. One of those teams he dominated was Florida, themselves the number one seed in the nation. And this is Florida coach Kevin O'Sullivan. He's a true Friday night guy, and I'm glad he's leaving after this year, to be honest with you. <laughs> After the 2015 season, um, when we came to Omaha, the 2016 season was, we, I think that we were kind of a little bit on our high horse and uh, we might have not uh, worked as hard as we needed to and whatnot. But just coming back after that and, and, and going through the worst has really put a lot of pressure on us to perform at our best. Arkansas second baseman Carson Shaddy was a huge part of the Razorbacks' rebound from missing the postseason in 2016, something Oregon State also did in 16. And now both programs made the College World Series finals just two years removed from not even making a regional. Those guys from fall on, they were on a mission. They were on a mission to get to the World Series, and I don't think anything besides getting to Omaha was going to be enough. Head coach Dave Van Horn was in his 16th year in Fayetteville, and his reputation was exceptional. Simply put, the GOAT. It's pretty simple for Arkansas fans. Dave Van Horn is the GOAT. He is worshipped. He is loved. That's Arkansas reporters Seth Campbell and Hayden Balgavy calling Dave Van Horn the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I know that the GOAT gets thrown around a lot, but in all honesty, with the struggles that Arkansas sports have had recently in football with back-to-back two and 10 seasons, basketball was struggling for a while, but baseball has been kind of the steady Eddie. Dave Van Horn has really made this state into a baseball state. He really put Arkansas baseball on the map. Let's just say that during this election season, if he was somehow up for any sort of election, he would probably get, if not 99.9% .9 the Jermex vote in Arkansas, he'd probably get 100%. It was that fervent passion for Arkansas baseball that led many Razorback fans to make that six-hour trip to Omaha. Omaha was in the state of Arkansas that two weeks. That stadium was packed. It was red, it was white, there were hog calls left and right. In Arkansas, man, they traveled that whole stadium during the pig suey, and compared to our fans, it just looked like all Razorback fans there. I mean, it wasn't even close. Then they brought in Nebraska fans because Van Horn took Nebraska to the World Series. And so everybody's like, well, we love Van Horn because he gave us the most successful baseball we've ever had. We're gonna root for him. I'll never forget, you know, 90 minutes or whatever it was before first pitch when they opened up the GA section and all those red, those Arkansas red fans just running full sprint. I've never seen anything like it and just filling up those outfield general emission seats and man, they were something else. 
it was like a home game for those guys, Arkansas. It was amazing. The tailgates, it was nothing but Razorback fans everywhere. Everywhere you go, is obnoxious. They're all doing the woo, big suey thing everywhere you go. And then you're like, basically, we're playing, a, it was like we were on the road. We were walking through and a couple of the Arkansas, most of them were really pretty good, but a couple of them were just saying something. Hey, where's the rest of the fans? After we got through, I turned to my buddies and I said, you know what? The baseball gods don't like that. This Arkansas crowd throwing down the noise. They're here probably three times greater, maybe four, than that of Beaver Nation. The people that were beside us, like, oh, we came up from Hope, Arkansas, to come see y'all. We came up from DeWitt, which is even farther south than Fayetteville. You know, people are just showing up. We had people who live in Little Rock. And Little, this is about an eight, nine-hour drive. People would take off the day of the game. They would drive up there, go to that ball game, and then they would have their buddy drive back the same night. And I said, where have you guys been staying? They said, we didn't stay anywhere. We drove back to North Little Rock last night and then we slept, I worked a day shift and then my buddy called in sick and we got in the car and drove back. And I was like, y'all are crazy. The fans were incredible. You know, I've been to Omaha when LSU's been there and I used to think, wow, look at this, this is crazy. Our fans, I, we, were, we were better. And I, I mean, I never thought I could say that. And. You know, it would have been interesting if LSU would have been there, how that would have turned out. That would have been a battle to get in those stadiums. Dave Van Horn felt the atmosphere would have been better with another SEC team in the finals, and maybe that's a dig at Oregon State, although, to be fair, not as many OSU fans were there. The trip is about four times as long from Corvallis than places like Fayetteville, but there were pockets of Beaver fans, whether coming from Oregon or elsewhere. Well, when 2018 rolled around, I was telling people all year, OSU's going to win it. This is former Beaver baseball player Scotty Church. His former teammates made it through the loser's bracket in Omaha while he watched from about 800 miles away in Lubbock, Texas. They're playing North Carolina. I'm at a buddy's house, and they're down. They start making a comeback in the North Carolina game. And I told them right then, I said, if Oregon State comes back and wins this game right now, I'm dropping what I'm doing, and I'm driving to Omaha tomorrow. Well, as you know, Oregon State wins. You know, we win the game. You know, I called my wife. I was like, I'm going to Omaha tomorrow. I'm like, I'll see you when I get back. I don't know when that's going to be, but they're not going to lose. I just have that gut feeling. Scotty slept in his car the first night, and when he arrived, Kyle Novak let him crash in his hotel room there in Omaha. OSU supporters like Scotty were still outnumbered greatly, but it was about to be an electric atmosphere in Omaha. However, Game 1 on Monday had an unexpected twist before it even began. There is talk of around 8 o'clock, major storm activity hitting over TD Ameritrade Park. They would wait that out and then perhaps begin play at 8.30. The plan was to still play on Monday night, but then even that plan was scrapped shortly thereafter. The decision has been made to officially postpone tonight's ball game. Not even an act of the Razorbacks, an act of God keeps them from playing because it rains. It rains on the first day. The series doesn't start as a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, rather a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Arkansas reporter Seth Campbell says the team that benefited most from the delay was absolutely Oregon State. Oregon State lost the very first game against North Carolina. They have to come all the way from the loser's bracket. So what's the advantage of winning all your first games? You're supposed to be fresher in your bullpen, right? And I thought the thing that really gave Oregon State an advantage more than anything else was the rain out on Monday night. Luke Heimlich moving from four days to now five days rest. Bryce Femmel then would be, instead of on three days rest, will be on four days rest. And then if it goes three, Kevin Abel would move from three days rest to four days rest. So across the board, the pitching staff, the extra day was much needed. 
Arkansas had played just three games so far in the College World Series. Oregon State needed five games to advance through the loser's bracket. In two of those games, Luke Heimlich was the starting pitcher, and Luke had not been sharp in either one, as pitching coach Nate Yeski saw. Well, we joked around as a staff earlier today that, you know, for two years he's been really good. So we allowed him to have a couple bad starts, and now he's gotten those things out of his way. It's time to flush it and move on. Heimlich's ERA before the College World Series, 2.32. His ERA in the College World Series, 14.4. So an extra day of rest can't hurt, not only for him, but also center fielder Stephen Kwan, still on the mend from his hamstring injury. Quan was good enough to play on Monday, so that game getting pushed back helped that much more. So already something went right for Oregon State as they prepared for Tuesday, June 26, 2018 for the actual Game 1 of the College World Series Finals. This is Mike Parker welcoming you to the NCAA 2018 College Men's World Series and Game 1 of the Best of Three Championship Series between the Oregon State Beavers and the Arkansas Razorbacks on a warm, gorgeous late afternoon in the heartland. It's a blessing and uh, just to be able to play for a national championship and play for the goal that you know we've had for the entire year for two years now, you know, it's something else. Winning the national championship was more important than anything else. That's why I went to Oregon State when I was 12 years old, sitting in the living room watching the game with my father. I said, like, Dad, I'm going to do this. We want to win. We're not here just for, you know, a second place trophy. Like, we want to win this. How many times have you heard teams say, we come to win a national championship? Anything short of that is not good enough. You hear it a lot, but Oregon State is at the point where I believe they mean it. Anything short this year of a national championship, I think, will be a disappointment for this group. The will to win when you don't play your best baseball is, is what that team had. If we are dialed into this and we do what we're supposed to do, it's going to change our lives forever and it's going to be something we can always talk about. I think that Arkansas series is an absolute, just like, it's just unbelievable to think about. I almost blur it out just because it was so intense and there's so many things I think going on in those moments. Yeah, I mean, at this point in time, you know, shoot, just two of the best teams in America playing each other. I mean, this is the highest level of baseball we could possibly play at college. Yesterday's rain out, giving the guys a little more rest and we'll see how Luke Heimlich fares as we get underway. Luke trying to retire the Razorbacks in order and set a big tone, and he does. The strike two pitch swung on and missed. The pitch was in the dirt. Adley throws down to first to Zach Taylor for the out. And Luke Heimlich, who everybody believes is sitting on one last Luke-like outing, retires the side in order with two punch outs. A great start for Luke Heimlich, but the Razorbacks would not be easy to score on either with Blaine Knight on the mound, and so Oregon State threw whatever it could against him, including a somewhat last-minute lineup change. He scratches out Jack Anderson in the eight-hole play in left field and inserts Kyle Novak. And I think I, I talked to Pat Casey about 15 minutes later. He said, just a hunch, could be right, could be wrong. But it is my opinion, I think it's the, the home run, the potential that Kyle Novak can run into a ball and hit it out of here. Unfazed by anything Oregon State threw at him, Blaine Knight came out firing in the first inning, just like Luke Heimlich. The 1-2 pitch is swung on and missed, strike three. Quanti fans, and that's a rarity. 2-2 two and two to Caden Grenier. Blaine Knight delivers, fastball popped up on the right side. Second baseman 
Carson Shaddy will defer to the on-charging right fielder Eric Cole, who makes the catch. Caden Grenier's pop-up caused second baseman Carson Shaddy to sprint out towards the ball before being called off just in time by the right fielder Eric Cole. This play worked out for Arkansas, but that had not always been the case for various teams here in Omaha. Jim, we have seen collisions. The Beavers have had one here. Jack Anderson and Caden Grenier. Texas Tech had a collision that led to two runs. And I've been told by the players, it's so loud in here at times that that ball, ball, ball communication, I don't know if that can be averted in certain situations. There were about 10 times as many fans in the College World Series as there are in most college ballparks. This game in particular drew 25,000. At the last moment there, Eric Cole made it clear that he wanted the ball coming from right. But that's always a little bit of a scary proposition. What's always the scariest is if you have two or three guys converging and nobody really can call the ball. They don't know if they're going to get it. Nobody knows if they're going to get it. Everybody's going full speed. That's when I start getting a little worried. For now, though, the Arkansas defense held up, and so did Blaine Knight. Hits it sharply on two hops to Biggers, who backhands and throws to first for the out. Both pitchers set a good tone and retire the other in order. After a quiet first inning for the OSU offense, the second inning started off hot on the very first pitch. The pitch to Larnick drilled, and that'll be a fair ball base hit towards the right field corner. Eric Cole chases it down. Larnick on his way for two and goes in sliding. A leadoff double for Larnick into the right field corner. Then Tyler Malone's infield single put runners on the corners, one out. Two balls and no strikes to Gretler. Knight delivers a soft liner into center field. Base hit. Larnick scores. Malone takes a turn and holds. You step up with runners on the corners. We know what happens the rest of the game, but what was your experience of getting the first RBI of the 2018 College World Series Finals? Yeah, it was cool. You get that first one out of the way, good things can happen. It makes things a little easier the rest of the way. A soft line drive off the bat of Michael Gretler has given the Beavers a one to nothing lead. The Beavers drew first blood, but Blaine Knight got back, striking out the next two batters and then retiring all three batters the next inning in the third. So Luke Heimlich had to work hard to preserve the one-run lead. 2-2 two -two breaking ball in there. Strike three called. Two down. Heimlich from the stretch, the lefty to the plate, and that's hooked deep down the right field line. Larnick, though, has a play, moves over to make the catch to retire the side. After a solid first two innings, Luke Heimlich allowed a single to open the third. Not a great sign for Luke, who had not gotten out of the third inning his previous two starts here in Omaha. Luke is trying to get through the third for the first time. The lefty delivers 2-1, hit on the fist slowly to Gretler. Goes to Madrigal for one, on to first for two. Double play around the horn, 5-4-3. The inning is over. Even better, Heimlich posted a 1-2-3 inning in the fourth, maintaining the 1-0 lead. And in the bottom of the fourth, Trevor Larnick came back up, fresh off his leadoff double a couple innings prior. Trevor Larnick, first ball swinging, a Not slicing seen. fly to left. The left fielder can't see it, and the ball bounces into the Beaver bullpen. Heston Kerstad, looking up into the bright sunlight, was absolutely at sea when the ball left Larnick's back. And what appeared to be a routine fly to left, anything but. 
Of all the plays to break a record, that gave Trevor Larnick his fifth double in Omaha, the most by one player in College World Series history. Now, Larnick, the only player from either team to have scored in this game, is again in scoring position. How about Trevor seen two pitches and has two doubles? One to right and one to left, albeit a bit of a gift in this case. The pitch to Rutschman, a line drive to center, coming in a hurry and playing it on a hop will be Dominic Fletcher, and Larnick rightly stops at third. Now it's first and third, nobody out. For whatever reason, every single game, Oregon State would play in Omaha. Two or three really weird things that maybe I'd never seen before would always happen. It just every single time, these crazy things would happen, and this is just another one. Bob Lundeberg was in the press box for one of the odder sequences in the College World Series. Tyler Malone stepped to the plate, and even if Tyler doesn't get an RBI base hit here, he's still got a chance to score Larnick via a sack fly, or even a ground ball double play wouldn't end the inning, so he's got a great chance to get Larnick home. On this Tuesday evening in the Heartland, leading one to nothing in the bottom of the fourth, two and two to Tyler Malone. Knight delivers Malone, a ground ball speared by the first baseman. Gates goes to second for one, the throw to first, not in time. That's one of those things where when it happens live in the moment, I don't really think you fully realize what's happened. It became quickly apparent to Tyler Malone, the one who hit that ground ball, that something had gone terribly wrong. So I didn't want to get tagged, so like I slid head first, and like he called me safe, and I was like, okay, sick. And then out of nowhere, it's like they start putting everybody back and like saying that Rutch didn't, like, I don't really know what happened. You see what seemed to be a just a pretty typical force play, ground out, fielder's choice, where Malone easily beats it out. But there's just, there's stuff going on on the field and you don't immediately know what it is. Standing just a few feet away from home plate on the on-deck circle was Michael Gretler, who watched Trevor Larnick score on that play. I think I was, you know, high-fiving Trevor and maybe turned to the dugout and talking, getting ready to kind of go up and hit. And then all of a sudden there's kind of, you know, craziness going on. And I remember looking out in the field being like, you know, what's going on? I was in the press box for game one and kind of seeing that. And we all kind of thought in the moment, that's interference. Is that interference? Gage goes to second for one. The throw to first, not in time. Larnick scores. The Beavers lead it two to nothing, and we're going to see an interference call, and that's going to get Pat Casey going crazy. An interference will be called. It's an automatic double play, and Larnick has to return to third. The run is off the board, and Pat Casey is all over Chris Koski. And then, of course, Case comes running out, right? And Case is arguing. Obviously, he was probably a little upset about the call. You know, the umpires are kind of getting together and pointing here and calling this guy out and telling him to go back and Case come flying out of the dugout. It took me a second to kind of realize what was going on. It's a super weird situation that I've never, like, experienced before ever. And he never made contact. That's the funny he thing. He ducked. He ducked to get out of the way of the throw. Yeah. Adley Rutschman was the one called for interference at second base, and he did duck as the fielder was trying to make the throw over him to first base, but the one thing working against Adley is that he did not slide. I'm not sure what the call is. They're saying he has to get down? That he has to slide? He he doesn't have he to ducked. slide. It's not a rule, Jim, that you have to slide, is it? I don't think so. It's true, you don't have to slide, although the rulebook is a little complicated. The rule states that runners in that situation do have to slide unless they can, quote, avoid making contact or altering the play of the fielder, end quote. So by not sliding, Adley left it open to the interpretation of the umpire.
it's frustrating because Adley, like he obviously made an attempt to not take that guy out. He was trying to avoid the throw or whatever. So it was like a clean play, but he still got called out. You know, the, you can read the rule and get the interpretation that you want, but it's pretty obvious that Adley didn't interfere with anyone. And that was a, a critical, critical play in that game. The other issue is that Adley didn't slide into second base because he wasn't near second base. However, even the radio crew, Jim Wilson and Mike Parker, saw the umpire Chris Koski say, it doesn't matter. We read the lips. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Of it's what we so heard. If he's 50 feet from the bag, he's got a slide. We didn't hear what Pat yeah, Casey right. said. We saw the lips of the umpire saying, it doesn't matter. Pat probably said he wasn't even close enough to slide. I was watching the throw, so I didn't really see like where Adley got to. But then I remember seeing the uh, picture on Twitter or on somebody sent the picture in a group message after the game. And I mean, finally, you know, the, the sky cam of Adley literally only halfway to second, not anywhere close to second base. And that's when it really hit you like, oh my God, what was that umpire thinking? Like that's a terrible, terrible call. That interference call was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. That one was just terrible. I think the umpires really just got influenced because I remember that stadium was probably 80, 85% Arkansas fans. That is unbelievable. That is just stinking unbelievable here. Believe it or not, there's even more to it than that. Mike Parker and Jim Wilson found out after the game what Chris Koski's explanation was for why he made the call. Koski told him that Adley Rutschman made contact with Jax Biggers on that play. And that explanation is unbelievable to me. If he said that, he is an absolute liar. He's yeah. just dead wrong. He made it up. So after all the squabbling about who got what wrong and where Adley was and all of that, here's the final result. Malone had been safe at first, but is called out. Adley Rutschman is out, and Trevor Larnick has to return to third, even though he scored easily without a throw. Everything becomes a dead ball, and, and that, that is, in fact, to me, a foolish rule when, in fact, you could just read the play. They were not attempting no, to, yeah, to, to but play by the guy. rule, the runner has to go back. There's still only two outs in the inning, and Larnick could still score, but with two outs, that won't be easy for the next hitter, Michael Gretler. It totally changes your approach in a, you know, a matter of a split second because if Malone's on first and Trevor's on third, then I'm obviously looking for something elevated, trying to get a ball in the air if there's only one out. But then with two outs, like you got to get a hit. Larnick at third, two down, three and two to Michael Gretler. one nothing Beavers, bottom of the fourth. First and third, nobody out to run with third and two outs on a call that certainly exercised Oregon State head coach Pat Casey. Knight's 3-2 pitch, swung out and missed, strike three, and the inning is over. No runs, two hits, one left. Pat Casey pointing at Chris Koski, all over Chris Koski, and now Koski moving in towards Casey and pointing at Casey, but Pat's going to keep on pointing as we go to the fifth. The Beavers won, Arkansas nothing. That was huge. I mean, he slid in late, interfered with Jacks, and, uh, you know, it played into our advantage, so we ended up being able to leave a runner on third. So that was huge, and I feel like it gave us a momentum swing for sure because, you know, they were starting to get a little bit of something there. Blaine Knight agreed with the call. Pat Casey, not so much. I don't agree with his explanation. I appeared to Rutch was doing everything he could to get out of the way. The ball had left the guy's hand. There was... They weren't near one another, so um, I don't agree with the call. And a nice job by the shortstop of throwing that ball. If he does not throw the ball to first, which is a wasted throw. It was a wasted throw. If he doesn't throw the ball, they cannot give you that double play call. 
There's another element to this interference call we haven't even touched on. There would not have been an interference call if the shortstop Biggers didn't throw the ball, and he nearly didn't, because at first, nobody was covering first base. In fact, Biggers hesitated with the ball, then once a teammate got to the back, he finally threw, way too late to get the out at first base, but still allowing the possibility of the interference call. In fact, I suggest it may have been that very hesitation that made it look like Rutschman was in the way of the throw, when in reality, it seems Biggers wasn't bothered by Rutschman, he just hesitated because he had no one to throw to. I don't know if that's exactly why Chris Kosky thought interference was made, but either way, the frustration reminded Oregon State players of all the other calls they had felt gone against them in the College World Series, even starting with the North Carolina games. I remember being out there and we were having a discussion where I would say those emotions were high and things started to take over where we almost felt like everybody was against us. I think the same thing happened there is, you know, there were some calls or, or things that would happen that were totally out of our control, but they weren't the right calls. And we were like, well, what the heck? This isn't fair. Kyle Novak related the interference call to earlier in the 2018 College World Series, and some of his teammates went even a step further back chronologically to another unpleasant memory. Uh, that was one of the things that felt like it was working against us, kind of like in 2017 with the strike zone incident where it's just like, what do we do? Michael Gretler invokes the so-called strike zone incident from the 2017 College World Series. I think what Gret said was the exact same thing that we we're all feeling. It's like, what do we have to do to get a fair chance at this? You know, it's getting taken out of our hands again. People are always looking for an edge. I think a lot of Oregon State's guys, it was just a, a way to provide, you know, a little extra drive and a little extra motivation just to think that for whatever reason, umpires or other people in the NCAA or whatever, we're, we're out to get them. And I think there were examples at the 2017 College World Series where you could understand why they get that impression. I'm biased in this, but I think we always get kind of screwed on strike calls. And maybe that's rooted from the LSU series. You know, I mean, I sat behind home plate and watched Greg Street call that game and just blow it. It was terrible. In the final game with LSU, I do think that the strike zone, the very large, pretty inconsistent strike zone, it certainly favored an LSU team that is much more free swinging than an Oregon State team that has tremendous plate discipline and is just trained to lay off of so many pitches that were often strikes that day. You know, we were in a game last year to fight to go to the championship game, of which we got repeatedly called out on strikes that were six, eight, ten inches off the plate. That's on, on tape. The video Pat Casey is referencing went viral after the game. The overhead camera showed the ball go so far off the plate it crossed the batter's box, yet it was called a strike, and repeatedly, too. And there was yet another memorable umpire call from the LSU games in 2017. You can play your tail off in baseball and lose a close game because, you know, ball hit one inch on the fair side of the foul line. You know, I, I still can't figure out why they call foul line foul, and if he hit it, it's fair, right? You know, it's, that's why baseball's so difficult. You can't figure the damn game out. Pat Casey did not specifically reference 2017 here, but I can't help but notice the correlation with one particular play versus LSU. The Stephen Kwan ball, it's just, I think it's just an example of umpires make mistakes and there was a bad call in the moment yeah with that foul ball situation that was just that one really hurt 
Stephen Kwan was at the center of another critical umpiring gaffe in 2017. With two runners on base in a one-run game versus LSU, Kwan hit an opposite field shot that hit the fence and was sure to score at least one run, but it was ruled a foul ball. We got kind of unlucky with Kwan's hit. That was fair, and that would have changed the whole game. When the ball hit the fence, Stephen Kwan was sprinting to first and did not see exactly where the ball landed. I think if I had some more conviction and looks, I would have been like, oh, that's a fair ball. You know, I had my head up. If you speak with Pat Casey and Andy Jenkins and a lot of other people at Oregon State, they just they didn't fully understand what was reviewable because the rule was written kind of confusingly. In that instance, the wall is actually considered part of the ground. The rule states that for a ball like that to be reviewed, it has to hit the ground first. And obviously the Quan ball hit the wall first, not the ground, but they didn't know that in that instance, actually the wall is part of the ground. Caden was at first and he was rounding second, so he had the best view. He told Jenks that, and then Jenks and Case had a conversation. And I guess, unfortunately, between them, they decided that it wasn't review worthy. But then also, I ran back to home plate because I was just so amped. So that kind of sped up the game clock on us where Case and Jenks could discuss as long as they wanted. In hindsight, I should have slowed that down. Now, should they have just demanded a replay anyway? Absolutely. I think Pat Casey would be the first person to admit that. They definitely messed that up and that play should have been reviewed. But, you know, it's college umpires. They don't always make the greatest calls. I think they just caught a couple, maybe not as great umpires on a couple bad days. And it really, really, really did come back to bite him. That really stung knowing that the game got taken out of our hands. But I remember that's what Nick said that next year. Our goal is Omaha and, you know, we're going to control our fate every step of the way. And that's just the thing. OSU had gotten back to Omaha with the intention of controlling their own fate. But when the Beavers got back to the College World Series, the whole Adley-Rutschman interference debacle was yet another backbreaker, and Oregon State had no power to reverse it. Obviously, a lot of us had been there the year before when it kind of seemed like everything went against us. And it's hard uh, not to kind of go back to those thoughts. Like, oh man, we were in this situation last year. Greg Street's got a new guy now. He's got company. Chris He's got company. I'm still puzzled. Uh, after all of it, Pat, what about you? Well, the, what's more puzzling is how it continues to add up. Uh, we play North Carolina. We tag a guy at third twice. They call him safe. They call a foul ball fair that's fouled by a foot that you can't review. They call us out twice on sliding into second. There's no question that Adley Rutschman followed the rule of which you, you don't have to slide if you turn away from the runner and try to avoid, which he did. Uh, we got a picture of Caden being spiked in the thigh on a double play that they don't call. It's just odd to me the number of calls that have gone against us. But after all that, Pat Casey backs up and reminds us, you have to just control what you can control. It's on us. We can't worry about the umpires. We can't control that. We don't like it, that's certain, but we are not making any excuses. Obviously, I think as being an elite top performer, there's a lot of things we can't control in performance, and the umpire is one of them. And it's just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, everything's going their way. In those situations, you got to be careful not to think like that because that can lead kind of snowball effects in a negative way. Remember, Oregon State had gotten so good at bouncing back from these letdown moments. The Mississippi State games, for example, both times Oregon State had an exasperating missed opportunity, leaving runners on base, and both times came back the next inning to score five runs. So maybe this game versus Arkansas would be just another chapter in that book. Maybe they're best when they're backed up against the wall and have to just punch their way out. 
you really got to just be in the moment and you can't let one bad beat or you know bad call even let you get discouraged i mean if you go up even with the thought of what's going to happen next in the back of your head and a negative thought and you're trying to hit then that's going to limit your ability to get a hit top of the fifth inning at td ameritrade in omaha the beavers leading arkansas one to nothing Luke Heimlich had looked great to this point and got the leadoff hitter out in the fifth inning before facing Carson Shaddy. The 2-0 pitch, oh my goodness, misses way inside to the backstop, ball three. So after one pitch in and out, Luke all over the place on the next three pitches to Shaddy. The 3-0 pitch from Heimlich, way outside for ball four, seemingly out of nowhere, Luke just not even close. He came out and he walked Shaddy, and uh, there we go. He started to lose it. Uh, he didn't throw the ball where he needed to, and um, it, it was, uh, I don't know, I, I don't have an answer for, you know, that. He'd been real good all year long and, and uh, certainly uh, really struggled in that inning. The pitch to Gates is low, not close again. Ball 2-0, two, two and, oh, and now Nate Yeske is going to try a visit. So Adley's been out twice, Madrigal's been there. Here comes Nate Yeske. And it just feels, Jim, that the, the double play call, the momentum changing dramatically. one nothing. Beavers in the fifth. Heimlich delivers a chopper over the head of Zach Taylor into right field for a base hit. Nursing a one to nothing lead in the fifth comes set. Luke Reddy delivers a line drive base hit to left field. Carson Shaddy will score. Stopping at second base is Jared Gates in the ball game even at one. Luke out of the stretch, the one-two pitch to Biggers, hits him to load him up. The bases loaded, the strike one pitch bounces away from Adley Watchman, but it hit, it hit Cole, a run scores on another hit batsman in RBI. Arkansas takes the lead at two to one with Jared Gates coming down the line to score. And as Bruce Coburn wrote many years ago, when it's gone, it's gone. It almost feels like it's gone now for Luke. You know, he lost command of his fastball a little bit and was out of the zone. So as a hitter, we're all just trying to be patient, see him in the zone, and he ended up missing his spots a few times, walking a few guys, and then also hitting a few guys, and that equaled a few more runs for us. The pitch to Casey Martin, a ground ball slowly to Madrigal, juggles it, and everybody's safe. Madrigal was thinking about trying to get a double play, did not see the ball into his glove. In to score is Grant Cook. Arkansas leads it 3-1. to one. So the nightmare continues for the Beavers in the fifth. Six consecutive batters reach base, three of them scoring, and the bases were still loaded after Nick Madrigal's second error of the season. The pitch to Heston Kerstad way outside, blocked by Adley Rutschman. 1-0 the count with the bases remaining loaded. Jimmy, I know in retrospect now, as agitated as Pat Casey was, as I was, and here comes Nate Yeski, and that's all for Luke Heimlin. The momentum swung on the on the controversial double play. I mean, no question about that. And when it's gone, it's gone, and Luke not able to reel it back in. One of our goals with uh, offensively tonight was to get his pitch count up as his third start in, I don't know, 11 or 12 days. You know, early, he was awfully good. Breaking ball was okay, and then we could kind of see it go away. It just kind of went away. He pitched scoreless baseball through four and allowed just one hit, but it goes quickly in the fifth inning. And another early exit for one of the great pitchers in Oregon State history. Christian Chamberlain entered for OSU with the bases juiced. 
Arkansas leads it three to one in the fifth. Bases loaded, one out. Chamberlain delivers way outside for ball four. Four to one, and Jim, I mean, the, the thing about this inning, it just absolutely out of nowhere. Chamberlain bounced back by striking out the next two hitters to leave the bases loaded, but it was four to one, Arkansas. In the bottom of the fifth, the first two batters got out, but Stephen Kwan singled, which was a good sign for Stephen, who had injured his hamstring versus Washington four games ago, and this was his first start since then. I had done my rehab, like, to the T, as good as I could do. I mean, I was just kind of hoping, like, hey, if I do all this, my hamstring will repay me and I'll be good. And I would say it was about, like, 70 75% good. I kind of lied to Case and said, yeah, Case, I'm, like, 90 95% good. Like, I'm ready to go. So, I mean, I lied straight to his face. And I wanted it so bad. Steven knew this series was the last time he would play college baseball, so he pushed the issue a little bit, and now in the fifth inning, he stood on first base when Caden Grenier came up to bat. I was on first base, and Caden scorches a ball down the line, which I thought was fair. The pitch to Caden, line down the right field line, foul, says the first base umpire, the right field line umpire, just foul. Would have been an extra base hit and would have scored Stephen Kwan from first. Pat Casey's pacing in front of the Beavers' dugout. The right field line umpire says foul. But it wasn't. That ball was fair. ESPN has as good a look as you're going to get. Yeah. And it's right down the line. And I'm not so sure how the umpire... Well, he's looking right at he's it. Looking he looking right at it. Barry Chambers and he said foul. Have it been called fair? First of all, you're scoring on that play, right? Yes, that was the full intention of that right off the bat for sure. Dwight James on NBC Sports Northwest. Dwight tweeted, the guy umpiring the right field line should be immediately removed from the game. Only call he'll have all night, and he was about 15 feet from it, and he misses it? Yeah. <laughs> if you're umpiring... A foul line, you might have one call to make all night, but most likely you wouldn't have any calls to make of consequence. That guy got one call and booted it, and that's just inexcusable in my mind. That is a beef. I mean, forget yeah. the replay, forget mm -hmm. all of that. Just call it just right call in the it, first call place. Call it right and in you the, gotta run. initially. Yeah. So I have a really good recollection of it because one of my best friends now is Blaine Knight, the pitcher that was throwing against us that day. Caden Grenier and Blaine Knight had both been drafted just a couple weeks earlier by the Baltimore Orioles. Caden Grenier in the first round, Blaine Knight in the third round. After I got that hit, we both looked at each other and I kind of gave like a little like head nod type of deal because we had never met at this point, but we knew that we were about to be teammates. Now that it's been a couple years, both these players have had enough time in the Orioles organization together to talk about the 2018 College World Series, and this play from Game 1 has come up multiple times. He remembers how mad I was that it was called foul, and he said he just kind of laughed on the mound, but he, he definitely remembers that. The story isn't quite over here, though, because it really wasn't a foul ball. I hit it kind of off the end down the right field line, and it landed on the chalk. And so as I'm running, I can see very clearly where the ball hit, right? So I'm rounding first. The umpire calls foul. So I stop. I'm like, okay, so the play is dead. Obviously, I'm not going to keep running. The good news is that this play is reviewable. The guy calls foul. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's fair. And he goes, no, I have foul, whatever. And Case comes out and goes, Kate, was that foul? I said, no, Case, that landed right on the line. Like, it's a fair ball. So Case asked for the challenge or whatever. Well, after the review, they obviously see that it was fair. It was a bad call. 
The call was reversed, which might seem like it fixed everything for Oregon State. All's well that ends well, right? Except there's two problems here. First of all, by the play being called dead, it wiped out a mistake Arkansas had made fielding the base hit. Right fielder Eric yeah. Cole, he's taken a pursuit angle to the corner. Right. But the ball didn't go to the corner. The ball caromed into shallow <laughs> yeah. right field. You already heard Steven himself say he would have scored, but since the play was called dead, the umpires have to determine themselves which base to put Quan at, and the same for Caden Grenier. They're sending Quan to third and Grenier to second. What? To first? They're going to give him a single? Now, Pat Casey is going to have an issue with that. How in the world can that be a single? A ball down the line is a single? And that's what Caden Grenier is saying. You, you don't think I could run to second there? They put me at first because they said that I stopped running, and so they couldn't award me second base. And I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, I stopped running. You called it a foul ball. I'm not going to run all the way around the base. You, you call it foul. I run all the way to home, and you overturn it. I get a home run. Pat Casey's in the kind of mood right now where he feels like he can't catch a break, if that makes any sense. We hit a ball down the line, they call foul. Quanty scores on that ball if he calls it. It's much easier to call the ball fair if it's that close, and then you can put the runners back. Then when they decide it's fair, they put the batter runner at first base, of which how are you not going to get a double when you hit an oppo down the line and hits the chalk line? So it's odd to me that these kids, all these kids, all eight teams, work so hard to get here and that the umpiring is at the level that it is. It was just a really bad situation because it's an automatic double for me. Takes a bad kick off the fencing that like jets out of the field a little bit. I could be on third, Juan scores, like it's, you know what I mean? It's a total game changer. And so the fact that they were just like, no, because you stopped running, you have to be at first. And I was just like, dude, that is just, that is horrible. Believe it or not, it gets even worse. The other concern had to do with Stephen Kwan himself. I'm rounding the bags. I'm like, oh gosh, like I got to score this one. Like we were down at that point. I'm like, I got to score here. So I'm busting my tail out of the box. Or around second, I get to third. And then I hear somebody's like, hey, it's foul, it's foul, it's foul. Like relax. So I guess they called it foul way earlier, but I didn't hear it. So I like slowed myself down. And on the slowdown, I felt it kind of pull again. And I was like, oh man, no way, not here. Quan re-injured his hamstring on this fiasco of a play, and while he stayed in the game at third base, he knew this was bad news for his prospects the rest of the series. Jeremy, our trainer at the time, I mean, he had us taped up real good. Like, it was secure, so it, I could be good enough, and I was on some, some pretty good Tylenol and all that, so it was as good as it could get, but I knew after the game it was going to be real sore, and it was. Juan was put on third base even though he would have scored, so between last inning's interference call and this inning's foul ball situation, this is the second consecutive inning Oregon State had a controversial call prevent an OSU base runner from scoring. But in both cases, the runner was still on third with two outs so they could score if the next batter came through. It did not happen last inning, but this time the story could be different. First and third, two down. Knight delivers, Madrigal a line drive at the second baseman, Carson Shaddy. The inning is over. No runs, two hits, two left at the end of five. Arkansas four, the Beavers one. Trying to regain their footing, Oregon State came out in the top of the sixth with Christian Chamberlain striking out the first two batters and then walking the next two. This is his eighth hitter, and nobody's put the ball in play. <laughs> it's everybody standing around watching the big guy pitch. 3-0 pitch is ball four to load him up. Eight consecutive batters now 
and four walks, four strikeouts. Everybody right. else. No, no contact. No contact. And uh, now when, uh, Pat Casey is going to come out. That loaded the bases with two outs, and right in a moment where the Beavers could really benefit from Chamberlain making it through the inning and providing some length out of the bullpen, it wasn't pitching coach Nate Yeske who came out, but head coach Pat Casey. I went out with Chamberlain and told Chamberlain, I never go to the mound hardly the last 10 years of my career, but I went out to Chamberlain and I said, the bases were loaded. Late in the game, we were getting beat. And I told Chamberlain, what you're doing now is going to get us a championship game. What you are doing now is going to get us a championship game because he gave us innings, kept us out of our pen. He struck out seven or eight guys. Chamberlain eating up some innings should help OSU significantly, whether they win or lose this game. So Chamberlain stayed in and finally allowed a ball in play. Ground ball hit slowly to Grenier. Caden shovels to Madrigal, covering for the force at second. Contact leads to an out as the other guys get to play. Chamberlain went back to his strikeout ways in the seventh, getting two punch outs and then three more in the eighth. Breaking ball swung out and missed strike three, and Chamberlain fans the side. He's got four straight strikeouts again. Christian Chamberlain kept Arkansas at four runs, but it was not easy for Oregon State to make up the difference against Blaine Knight and reliever Barrett Lowski. The pitch on the way is ripped. Fair down the left field line. Now the ball bounces around, gathering it in as Kerstad on his way for two is Zach Taylor, and he's thrown out at second base. Fastball swung on and missed, strike three. And Lowski comes in and does a nice job. And Arkansas, six outs away from taking command in the championship series. Grenier a butt up along third. Lowski barehands, good play, and throws him out. One away. The Beavers have been here before. Pat Casey even talked about it. We know the route through the, the elimination games, having won six of them in 2006 for that first and unforgettable national title. They would be in the same position 12 years later, needing to do it again if they don't rally tonight. Four to one, Razorbacks, bottom of the eighth. Lowski delivers, fastball swung on and missed, strike three. So as you go to sleep tonight, if the Beavers don't score at least three in the ninth, just be thinking 2006, 2006, because it looks like that's what it's going to take. So it's 4-1 Arkansas still heading into the ninth inning, which is when Stephen Kwan, who had stayed in the game despite re-injuring his hamstring, was finally tested in the outfield. Whacked toward the gap into left center field by Heston Kerstad. Stephen Kwan chases the ball down. At the time, nobody knew that Steven had pulled that hamstring again four innings earlier. But even if that wasn't public knowledge, it was becoming noticeable that Kwani was not right. Steven Kwan didn't appear to be running very well. It looks like he's afraid to really open up. After the double by Kerstad and a walk, there were runners on first and second with two outs, and yet again, OSU had more defensive problems, although it was not the injured center fielder's fault. A high pop foul off third, a long run for Gretler and Rutschman. They come together and drop the ball in foul territory. Gretler had a long way to go, and again, it's just not Beaver baseball, Jimmy. That's a tough play, but you got to get an out there. The Beavers had by far the worst fielding percentage of any team during the College World Series, despite coming in as one of the best defensive teams. Again, an uncharacteristic aspect to the Beavers' run here in Omaha. Starting pitching has not been solid, and defense has not been either. The 2-2 pitch, breaking ball through all that, got him anyway. 11 strikeouts for Christian Chamberlain in a brilliant outing out of the pen. 
Now, can the Beavers rise up for three? If not, they're going to face a back-to-the-wall 2006 scenario, needing to win two for a national championship. On the last gasp in the ninth inning, Adley Rutschman started with a single, which brought in Arkansas closer Matt Cronin. Six foot, 290 pound sophomore, hard thrower, 92 to 95 with a fastball, quick delivery. Cronin was pretty much known for one thing, his fastball. Just gas, man. Every time he went out there, Arkansas fans, the game was over when he went out there and they did this whole big Game of Thrones-esque celebration of release the Cronin, coming out, breathing fire, throwing heat, throwing gas. Cronin's entrance does not bode well for this game because he's a tremendous pitcher, but there is one good thing at play. Here comes Cronin. I think it's good that Oregon State sees Cronin. I agree. Because in order to win this series, they're going to have to get to him, whether it's tonight or sometime later. Putting some mileage on Cronin is helpful, but it's little consolation if this game still ends in a loss for OSU, so it's a critical ninth inning for the Beavers. Next up is Tyler Malone. Matt Cronin from the stretch. The lefty delivers. Fastball swung out and missed. One away. Four to one Razorbacks, bottom of the ninth inning. Gretler at the plate. The one-two fastball swung out and missed. Two down. Andy Armstrong pinch hits for Jack Anderson, representing the Beavers' last gasp in the bottom of the ninth with the Beavers trailing four to one. I just missed it. I was on plane with it. I just got, it just got a little bit on my hands. It sucks to be the last out of something like that. The 2-1 pitch, a little looper in the air, caught by the shortstop, Jax Biggers, and Arkansas takes game one, 4-1. to one. So the Beavers have another look at what they did in 2006. They need to win six elimination games to win a national championship. I think right after that, the team knew that we were moving on. We had still two more games to play. You know, we weren't done. We take the hard road, and I guess that's just how we do it at Oregon State because we're never out of it until the final game's played. We couldn't be frustrated. The only thing is, it's like, you could be frustrated in the sense of, like, motivating you to win the next game, but, like, we couldn't hang our heads on that game. Uh, I've lost before, they've lost before, we've lost games before. I think the one thing that's kind of difficult is when you got kids that have done so much, they're playing for a national championship and they feel like that they just got beat on a Tuesday by somebody they shouldn't get beat by. And, uh, you know, we're playing Arkansas, who's the best club we've played all year long. They didn't hit much in that game, and I just didn't really think that would last. I thought once they got a look at the Arkansas bullpen a little bit, they'd get that figured out. I think this series is going to go three, and I think the deeper you get in the series, the better the matchups lean toward the Beavers. Everybody on our team knew that we could still win. It wasn't, it wasn't impossible. So every single guy was going to be bold. Every single guy was going to lay it all on the line because this was it. We spent three, four years together. You know, some of us had grown up since we were little kids together. We were putting it on the line, and, and it didn't matter. We were going to fight. We weren't going down, just going to roll over. On the other side, Arkansas was feeling pretty good on the heels of winning game one and seeing Blaine Knight round out his stellar season, now 14-0. When they won that first game, it's kind of like, okay, this is how the series had gone the entire year and almost felt like destiny. 
Of course, it deserves to be noted that Blaine Knight throwing in Game 1 means he's out of the way. He's not going to pitch again this series. But as Arkansas reporter Seth Campbell points out, most series, Arkansas only needed him for one game. Once Blaine Knight would win on the Friday night, they usually would win at least one of the next two games. At least, they would do that at home. In fact, while 14-0 is a great stat for Blaine Knight, there's another note that Arkansas fans would like to forget. They never won a road series the entire year. Multiple times, Arkansas started a road series with a win, but lost the next two games, including the Florida series when Arkansas beat the Gators in Gainesville on Friday night, then lost the next day 17-2, and then Arkansas dropped the third game as well. The Razorbacks just couldn't close out teams away from Fayetteville. A big reason is because Blaine Knight can only start one game per weekend. Behind him, the game two pitcher was Casey Murphy. His record, eight and five. Stuff, pretty good. Big power left-hander, but he is not Blaine Knight. And if OSU forces game three, things look even better. You get to the third guy, Isaiah Campbell, he's got a losing record. He's not Kevin Abel. Kevin Abel has probably been the Beavers' hottest starter. So the Beavers need to get to game three, and if they do, I really like their chances. Okay. Of course, this game three on Thursday doesn't happen without things going well in game two. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I fully anticipate <laughs> I seeing Kevin Abel versus Isaiah Campbell on Thursday. on Thursday, and then things change. The pressure is squarely on the other side. So everything hinges on game two. This has been episode 13 of Dynasty in the Woods. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Join me next week for game two between Arkansas and Oregon State. Radio broadcast used with permission from Learfield IMG College. I look forward to talking with you on episode 14 next week. 